In, in the words of Ian Malcolm, serious instabilities in the system may occur, which is, it turns out, his mathematician code for... From now on, he's just acting like a dick, the Rex. And he just keeps running after them for no apparent reason. He's basically trolling them, isn't he? Yeah! <laughs> right at the end, he's just going to turn and give a certain look to the camera and be like, You mad, bro? Basically, Dave, there are people who like Jurassic Park and there are people who are wrong. Hello and welcome to part four of Shark Live Royal's look at Jurassic Park by Michael Crichton. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. Are you ready, Dave? Because this is uh, this is where we go from serious problems in the park to utter complete disaster. <laughs> in in the words of Ian Malcolm, Matt, uh, serious instabilities in the system may occur, which is it <laughs> turns out his mathematician code for. <laughs> yeah, so this week, if you're reading along with us, uh, as we do each and every week, we give you a section of the book to read, and if you cast your mind back to the last podcast, we said we're going to be reading from the bit called The Park. Yeah, so it's the bit that begins, the portable generator sputtered and roared into life, that's the good news, um, and we're reading as right? far as a chapter called The Grid. Uh, I think there's only one chapter called The Grid, so when you get to that one, stop. <laughs> Isn't it? I tell you what, the surprising thing about doing Shark Liver Royal has become for me is how many authors don't bother to give their chapters like numbers or titles. Yeah. Like whenever I read it in a book, I'm like, oh, that's quite inventive. Oh, that's quite nice. It's a bit of a departure from that. But it turns out every fucker does it. Yeah. Everybody's like six chapters called The Dinosaurs Are Coming or something. Yeah. And, you know, it's fine for me, but, you know, your your anguish is obviously uh, obviously disturbing. Yeah. Now, this is a large chunk, so let's get straight down to it and let's go Gosh. to the park um and Muldoon is out there the, the the park's all coming back online now after um, Arnold's found the bug in the system and fixed it and uh Muldoon's fixing this uh, shattered fence um this sort of it was also oh, shorted fence isn't it there's yeah. a because it because it's a tree falling fence. against it that would be, be a piece of work what what happened we made it out of glass nobody told yeah. me it was a bad idea <laughs> I did read that and think, hmm, I'm not quite sure that was right. Yeah, it's a shorted eight fence, the tree's falling against it. They're near the Dilophosaurus paddock, so they don't want to stick around too long because these guys have been known to spit, if we've seen. And mm. um, they also see in the distance as these lights, which look maybe like headlamps. Wonder what that could be. Ooh. Yeah. We come back to the control room, and Arnold's in a, in a very good mood now because he's, you know... <laughs> He's, he's got it all back online because he, because hubris is yeah, yeah. and he's, he's talking about the Malcolm effect which was mentioned in the last cast but uh, it, now he explains what it is it's basically um, a sudden speeding up of disaster basically isn't it it's where it's basically the Malcolm effect is basically the point where the shit really hits the fan yeah or, or you might say it's the bit where the boat reaches the lip of the waterfall and for a second you think you're going to be all right because you're hanging in space it's, yeah. it's the wily coyote chase moment of yeah. mathematics isn't it just before yeah. you notice there's no cliff below your feet and you start falling yeah um and Arnold says that M- Malcolm sort of uh, theory is wrong because Malcolm thinks of like instability as a bad thing mm. in any kind of complex system. Mm-hmm. And Arnold says, when when you're talking about living things, then instability is actually just part of part of the makeup 
and it's actually a sign of a healthy system rather than an unhealthy one. Um, And he gives the example of things like how your body temperature fluctuates wildly throughout the day, but it's not because you're, it's not, doesn't mean you're ill, it just means that you're just healthy. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's true. Oh, I mean, but but again, that happens within boundaries, doesn't it? You know, it's different, a natural system. This is what Malcolm was saying before with that graph, wasn't it? Where mm. you got, you know, this is a completely artificial system. It just looks like a natural system. Yeah. So if you had made, for example, if you'd have made Frankenstein and he had massive body fluctuations, you've no guarantee whatsoever that that's going to that that's a good thing for Frankenstein, even if it is a good yeah. thing for ordinary human beings. In the same way, I'm not. I, I'm, I'm on Malcolm's side on this one with, with all my expertise in maths. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. So it, it depends what um, type of system you think you've got, isn't it? And whether you're correct in your assumption. And yeah, mm-hmm. Arnold assumes that they are. They've created a, a, a natural or something. At least apes a natural world here. Mm-hmm. Um, we cut out to Harding, the doctor. And uh, the, the vet and Hammond, uh, they're dealing with a sort of a keeled over hipsy. Um, mm. And Hammond's sort of standing there fretting about it. We get a little bit of background to, to, to Harding here as well, about mm. how he sort mm-hmm. of, you know, how he got into the parks and stuff. Hammond's just sort of generally getting in the way, isn't he, now? He doesn't yeah. know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and like and treating it like the most responsible. That's the most responsible executive management approach that exists. Just sort yeah. of like what I'm going to do is I'm going to bollock people, and then I'm going to stand over them while they do their job, wringing my hands because I read in Haircut Monthly, the world's leading business executive magazine, that that works. It's a new yeah. theory. <laughs> Don't think it's working for you, John. <laughs> uh, we cut again. This is quite good. This chapter because it's just a lot of fast cuts to different parts of the park isn't it as they're getting mm-hmm. everything back online i quite yeah. like it when they do this because it keeps yeah, the pace yeah. really really up um muldoon's now reached uh, the next bit of fence which has been trampled mm. um and this is the where the rex has come through <laughs> he's, he's basically trampled down the fence and got into the sauropod paddock basically the, uh, doing gets an increasing number of brilliant lines as as, uh, as this book goes on, and this is one of my favourites. He just looks, he just looks at the trampled fence, sees where the Rex has gone, and just goes, "Fine dining tonight." <laughs> <laughs> it's as if he's decided that keeping the, getting the park under control it is desirable because it's his job. What's more important is that he seems like the most louche relentlessly kind of laid back relaxed guy ever it's like I've, I've been I've been in the Masai Mara you're not scaring me dinosaurs yeah. fine dining fine dining <laughs> yeah because uh, Arnold wants him to go in and get the Rex now and capture him I think Hammond's very much along those lines as well but Muldoon's like no this that's not going to happen it's dark we don't have any proper weapons to bring this thing down so uh, we'll be waiting till tomorrow so He's, <laughs> I get the feeling there's a lot of, there's an element of Muldoon's sort of dark humour with this as well in that mm. in a similar way to Malcolm he feels he's being constantly proved right by things going wrong now because he, yeah. he is consistently being denied the equipment that he's asked for to sort of deal with these animals mm. mm-hmm. yeah and it, yeah. there is a little bit of actually it's similar to Nedry in a way isn't it there's a little bit of a like a really very highly trained and expensive professional who's been fucked around by the client who's just like don't care you know yeah. what I mean or like not, not don't care not checking out but just like well this is your fault isn't it <laughs> like yeah. you haven't given me what I need to do my job and as it turns out I needed it to do my job so yeah, you shit out of luck. 
Yeah, there's more than an element of I told you so in sort of Muldoon's oh, yeah. uh, voice in, in the rest of these chapters now. Yeah, and, and as frightening as it is for somebody like Nedry who can control your digital identity to be fucked over, I think, like, pound for pound, I'd be more frightened of fucking over Muldoon because I get the <laughs> sense that if, if he just got really pissed off with the way you were doing a job, he'd probably just shoot you. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, so basically Hammond's moaning about him not getting the getting the wrecks in time. And he mm. says, you know, well, I've got the tools to do it because you wouldn't get them for me. And now you've got a Rex loose in this horrible paddock, so there's nothing you can do about it. So <laughs> tough. <laughs> um, oh, because the, the point he makes is that the Muldoon makes, the reason he, he, he can't go after him yet is because they, they need to use that rocket launcher thing, which I think turns out to be a an enormous tranquilizer bazooka to, to bring this dinosaur down the wreck. Yeah, you know what I got this time was um, it describes the size of these these uh, containers of tranquilizer, and he says it's the same size as a quart milk bowl, right? yeah. which is four <laughs> pints of milk. Yeah, yeah of animal tranquilizer. Like what? What size is the gun you're using to fire this thing? <laughs> yeah. So. Um, yeah, but that obviously, if you remember, that that thing was in the back of the jeep which Nedry took. So until they find Nedry again, he's the key. Until they find Nedry, they're hmm. uh, they're, they're shit out of luck for capturing that thing. <laughs> uh, we're on to Dawn, um, and this is back to the maintenance shed, mm. and Grant wakes up to to hear Lex talking to someone outside. Turns out she's feeding a baby Triceratops. Who she's named Ralph, and she's feeding him <laughs> straw through the bars. <laughs> I love his. I love her reasoning as well. Why is he called Ralph? Because he looks like Ralph from school. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she just carries these petty kind of playground <laughs> everything around with her the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> and she says maybe I can ride him later. And um, I quite like the idea. Well, there's um, in Jurassic Park World. There's a little kid riding a triceratops, <laughs> so I think they may just nick that one from there. <laughs> <laughs> Is this yeah, little fat dopey kid riding this triceratops? You're like, woo, woo, <laughs> like a dog. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this is all nice and fun until Mum shows up, the um, Mum triceratops, and sort of nudges the baby away. For a brief second, you think the baby's going to get eaten because it's just this big sort of these stomping feet. This shadow yeah. falls across it, and the baby starts uh... crapping itself. <laughs> uh, and you're like, oh no, this is gonna, this isn't gonna end well. But in the end, it's just his mum. Yeah, yeah. It's it. It's a touching moment of uh, of dinosaur warmth before the complete fucking carnage that's about to happen. <laughs> um, they have a wander up to a motion sensor uh, because it's about time they wave. The, the plan is wave at a motion sensor. They get picked up by the cameras and go and get picked up by the cars. Yep. Seems simple enough. Um, but the motion sensors aren't working. And it's like, Uh, and we flick back to the control room. Arnold's just taken the motion sensors offline. Um, (laughs) Yet another in a magnificent cascade of terrible management decisions. The reason I need the motion sensors, well, while it's for the first time almost ever, it's unsure where the dinosaurs will actually be in the park. No need for those, just turn them off. 
I got the impression this was more just a spectacular moment of bad luck where he's taking him off for a minute because he's, des- he's trying to work out how to, how to unblock the phone lines. So he's going through each single thing. And the 30 seconds that he turns off the bod is, is just half so happens to be 30 seconds when Grant just waves at it. <laughs> is that I can plausible, imagine him, do you think? <laughs> yeah, not at all, really. But yeah, I can imagine him sort of, he's got the monitor on and he clicks like off just as Grant wanders into shot and waves. And then as just as Grant wanders out of shot, he clicks it back on again. Oh, still nothing there. But yeah, that's a bit annoying. But he's taking him off flanks. It turns out the um, the phone lines aren't working and they can't. that's the one bit of the bug that Arnold can't work out how to fix. Mm. Um, Gennaro comes in and starts panicking because he says, look, Malcolm's going to die unless we get a call out. Yeah. Whatever yeah. you can do to get the phones working, do it. I really um, liked this bit actually for for Gennaro because I I keep putting this kind of really weaselly dies on the toilet lawyer face on Gennaro the character in the book but actually this is this is where Gennaro is saying what he should be saying to these people who are basically treating the entire thing like an extremely complicated sudoku puzzle yeah. like he walks in and he's like no don't fucking I I don't let's just can we press restart I don't fucking care He's going to die. Please do something about... Yes, death. Human death as an experience is happening in this book. Yes, thank you. Very good. You know, instead of being yeah. like, oh, it's a very fascinating technical problem, but we've got it all under control. <laughs> yeah. So it turns out the only way to get the phone lines working that Arnold can see is to shut down the entire system, restart it up again, basically like a, a hard reset, and then everything's back online. He's a bit worried, Arnold, because no one's ever shut down the entire system before. So you can see why he's a bit concerned about doing that. Oh, it. I mean, no, absolutely, yeah, I can understand that. And on, and the other half of this is this is absolutely Gennaro freaking out and throwing his weight around for a problem that he reckons he can solve. Yeah, you know, yeah. which is quite emblematic of his character, really. But yeah, I, I still quite liked this sight of like slapping slapping the engineer around the chops and being like, "Can we focus?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Arnold does it. I mean. It's a, it's a shame that um, in the book he doesn't say the line that the line one of my favourite lines from the film where he yeah. like walks over to it and just goes, "Hold on to your butts." <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, he doesn't yeah. say it in the in, in in the film in the in the book. Mm. Um, but there is this sickening moment where he switches it all off, everything goes off, and he tries to switch it on again. And nothing happens, and it's like, oh no! <laughs> that moment I remember very, very clearly in the film yeah. as well. And only Samuel L. Jackson could have managed to make that seem anything other than completely pathetic. Where he goes, "Hold on to your butts," and you're like, "Oh, <laughs> these are really cool. He's all over it." Turns it off, turns it on again, and then he just goes, "Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah." Um, but it turns out here, it's just there are just a few uh, safety switches that you need to switch back on, and then, and then the whole thing comes back on. I think in the film, the safety switches, for reasons best known to the park designers, are over in the shed, the maintenance shed. But here, they're just next to the switch, as you were supposed to put them. So they just flick them back on, everything comes back on. And the phone lines are working, problem solved. Yeah. It, oh, problem oh, that's solved. all right then, isn't it? Are you, yeah. Wouldn't you love it if, the, if the, they actually ended the novel there? And as it turned out, the rest of the fail-safes, astonishingly, worked exactly as they were designed to. So everybody was <laughs> fine and they went home. <laughs> uh, the next bit, they're back in the park, and um, the Rex arrives. There's all these duck-billed duck hadrosaurs just knocking about in the fields, 
Grant's wandering past them and has extraordinary bad luck to be wandering through the field as the Tyrannosaur decides to attack. And it turns into this massive stampede. Um, so then we and then we cut back away from from that. Just you thinking, what's going to happen? And the systems are back on, and it's uh, actually just as the systems are coming back on, the people in the control room can see the hadrosaurs are starting to charge. Unfortunately, they haven't seen that Grant and the kids are in the middle of it. Yeah, and then we're and then we're in this middle of this stampede. This is quite a. This is this was quite a thrilling moment, wasn't it? In the in the yeah. film, it's these, it's a different kind of dinosaur. These Gallimimus is a yep. stampede. Yep. Here, yep. it's these massive hadrosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, I the Gallimimus moment is pretty cool in the in the thing because just because of the way it's shot, they look cool, kind of flocking as a flock. Yeah. But um, but. This was, I thought this was much cooler in the book where you see them on the screen, they turn into the you know, they're all being individually tracked and they all start swirling. Yeah. <laughs> Arnold's Arnold having 30 seconds ago been like, It's all under control, don't worry about it, it's fine. Now just looks at them and completely tonelessly goes, The hadrosaurs have stampeded. <laughs> like, I'm never gonna work again. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a bit actually where they, they hide in among the rocks, and one of the this is always. The image has always like stayed with me when I've read this again and again. Like one of the hadrosaurs runs past and smacks a boulder with its tail, and it leaves this big splash of hot blood. Yeah, just, really I thought weird. that. I thought that was a very powerful. Yeah, I remember that moment as well. Just like how panicked does an animal have to be to run into a rock hard enough to leave like flowing blood on the rock? Yeah, yeah, <sighs> crazy, serious shit. Um, they they escape by they end up climbing a tree, don't they, to hide there for a bit um, while the Rex stomps around and chases the hadrosaurs and this. And then the next chapter is called the Park again, and Grant wakes up with uh, to find like that one of the hadrosaurs like eating a branch next to him, um, kind of like that again, similar to the the film where there's a it's a it's a brachiosaur though, isn't it? Mm. Um, I thought about this. There's something that struck me here is how how did he suddenly fall asleep again? And yeah, yeah, I noticed that this time as well. Like he's he's literally just woken up, yeah. hasn't he? And then yeah. he's like, and and it happens again later on. Do you think <laughs> Where like it's broad daylight and he just keeps yeah. kind of having a bit of a walk and then something stressful happens with dinosaurs and then he falls asleep. <laughs> <laughs> like it's not exactly he's this barrel-chested badass of a paleontologist who is like unable to keep himself from you know like he's just really dopey <laughs> yeah i think the kids have fallen asleep here as well i wondered if this was um originally they climb a tree and go to sleep mm. and uh and that's how they spend the night and then michael Crichton went back to it and thought actually it's not that realistic to just fall out so then he wrote in this maintenance shed bit and then this is him sort of tying the two ends together and it's a little bit of a jar because yeah, why is he falling asleep again? <laughs> Isn't it weird, like noticing the sort of stitch marks for the yeah. edits? Isn't that strange? Yeah. It is a bit, yeah. Mm. Um, so the, the the plan they have once they uh, once they get, I mean, there's this it's this nice little scene, isn't it, with the hadrosaur? And again, it's it's uh, I don't know, compounding this compounding this theory that Grant's developing that. These dino- a lot of these dinosaurs can't see you if you don't move, and 
when they all sit still in the tree, the hydrosaur forgets that they're there, and when they mm. move again, it's, it can, yeah, obviously gets a bit of a shock. <laughs> that was a pretty funny moment, wasn't it? Just because I just had this image of this basically like a fifty-foot cow, just yeah. like just whenever you move, it goes what the shivering fuck. Literally every time, like leave it for ten seconds, stay completely still, and then just cough softly, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. Um, the the next plan, uh, they've got to work out how to get back now because they assume there's no they, for some reason the sensors aren't working. We've got to make our own way back, and the way they're going to do that is uh, Tim has seen uh, plant or ores in the maintenance shed, uh, mm. so he thinks there's a raft knocking around. Yeah. So they decide to, you know, why not take the river? Mm. Quick way back. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah, two issues here. One, the river is one of the few parts of the park where there are no motion sensors, um, so they're not going to get picked up. Yeah. And uh, and also, the, it seems the walk over to the river, um, no one sees them on the motion sensors as well because, uh, again, they go along this maintenance road, don't they? Um, and yeah, so it's almost like they're trying to stay. Yeah, <laughs> they're trying to stay undercover. Yeah, exactly. The technical failures of the park at this point become really funny. Like, sit yeah. down with the designers afterwards and be like, "So, ninety-two percent coverage. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but some of it's some of it's on roads. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Do you not want to be able to see where the places where people are most likely to be, whether there are actually people there? You're not too bothered about that. It's just maintenance, is it? Just maintenance. Nothing yeah. sketchy can ever happen on maintenance roads. It's their secondary purpose. <laughs> yeah. Well, I suppose the sensors are set up to count the dinosaurs. Yeah, but so. if a dinosaur gets out... I mean, if you're designing this on the assumption that dinosaurs might get out, which is why you have all these trenches and electronic fences and stuff, yeah. surely, you know, animals move on trails and maintenance roads are going to look a lot like trails, so they're very likely to take them because they don't have to push through underbrush sort of thing yeah does it make sense yeah. so it why is. wouldn't you monitor the places where things that have got out are most likely to be yeah and i think either malcolm or Gennaro makes that point to arnold at some point in the book and they say you know what if the dinosaurs follow the roads you know you wouldn't be able to see them and mm. arnold says oh you know they're not they, they, they're not people they're not sort of clever enough to do that and malcolm's <laughs> like well you don't really know how clever or not they are. Yeah. <laughs> and I that, think you make a good answer, point. isn't it? Yeah. It's not, you're wrong, I can tell you for certain that they are that clever, although as it turns out, they probably are. But it's that, on what basis have you made that assumption? It just, yeah. like, the whole thing seems to me to have been designed on the back of a cigarette packet. Yeah. Uh, so the uh, Grant and the kids head over to, it turns out that the oars are in the maintenance shed, but the actual raft is in this little sort of shack next to the river. So they wander over to that and they walk out into this clearing and hmm. the Tyrannosaur's just sort of sitting there. I mean, he's just chilling. He's got he's got his Hadrosaur carcass next to him. <laughs> he's just sort of like, ah. He's actually, he's actually asleep, isn't he? Yeah, and I love that he's sitting down. <laughs> yeah. the, the scene you've never seen in a Jurassic Park movie is T-Rex on his ass. Yeah. And, but that's exactly his feet sticking out the front, tail out the back. Little 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 stubby arms just sort of hanging in the air, arm yeah. back, snoring. He's your granddad, <laughs> basically. He's your granddad on a Sunday afternoon, but terrifying, 40 foot tall and with a dead hadrosaur next to him. <laughs> yeah. And as they try and sneak past him, he, uh, he sort of shifts and then he does this massive burp. Like, 
I've eaten far too much. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not just Sunday afternoon, it's Christmas afternoon, that, isn't it? He's just broken into the Hadrosaur paddock and he's had the equivalent of, you know, full turkey dinner with three seconds, thirds and fourths, all the trimmings. And yeah. now he's just like, yeah. just put the Queen on the TV and leave me alone. <laughs> oh. um, the, the They manage to get out onto the river, they get the raft open... They get on the raft, nice and quiet, and then Lex starts to cough. Um, cl- <laughs> classic tense scene, isn't it? There's no, oh, no way they can stop her. She starts coughing. Perfect. <laughs> I love that right after she starts coughing, though, like, it's it's sort of like, she's really worried and she's really tense and she coughs really loudly. And then Tim's like, shut up. Yeah. And, and she's just like, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry. And she just starts shrieking about how sorry she is. And it's like, it wasn't a game, Lex. The, the danger that you were scared about six seconds ago is still actually quite pressing. <laughs> yeah. I like how, after she coughs once, she starts making these like gargling noises. Like, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> You're going, shut up. <laughs> why are you even, why? Why would you, gargling? Why are you making that noise? <laughs> So the T-Rex comes after them. Turns out he can swim. Um, he, he sort of jumps into the lake, into the river and starts making his way over like a crocodile. And you're thinking, I mean, this this looks like he's it. <clears throat> There's no way out, no way to get away. They've got this crappy little t- tranquilizer gun which they found in the shed. But apart from that, nothing to defend themselves with. Um, and just at the last moment, there's another roar from the... <laughs> from the from the bank and they look over and the little mini T-Rex the juvenile is crouching over Big Rex's kill like claiming it going, <laughs> yes it's mine <laughs> this is I tell you what this is this is absolutely like street scally material isn't it it's like it's like what, what are you going to fucking do son eh got your fucking hadrosaur eh <laughs> and then it just looks up and you can literally almost hear the T-Rex in his angered bellow going oi I know your dad <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's just—it's so perfect. Like all of this, this whole interaction is absolutely like sitcom tropes of yeah. old men dealing with young teenagers, isn't it? Right, yeah. like from from the T Rex sort of being asleep, belching in his sleep, rolling over and not quite waking up, all the way back to the baby T Rex going, "I'm gonna fucking have this. I'm off <laughs> with this now." <laughs> yeah, the 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 big. Rex is obviously um, furious at this, turns around and just charges uh, back out of the river. All thoughts of, uh, you know, a nice little post-meal snack of three people gone. Mm, mm-hmm. And he goes chasing mm-hmm. after the, the juvenile. Yeah. So that's a, a bit of luck for Grant and the kids. And on they float down the river towards the visitor centre. Good Job news. done. Job mm. done. Yeah. Uh, we see Malcolm's fifth iteration. As we carry on through those. And then Search is the next chapter. Uh, Muldoon is is now drinking quite quite heavily, it appears. What is it, ten in the morning? He's just <laughs> he's looked at the realities of the new day and he's gone Whiskey, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um so they're they're in the sauropod area now. They've decided to go out um searching for the wreck, see what's going on. Muldoon says, Rexy's been among the hadrosaurs. <laughs> he's he's a, a trampled grass. <laughs> yeah, but from now, from now though, because Muldoon's been drinking so much, and he is this sort of old colonial type, I'm struggling not to hear him as, um, as uh, what is it? Oh, um, 
Rowley Burkis from um, from the Fast yeah. Show. <laughs> Rex has been in with the hadrosaurs. <laughs> and it's, it was all rah, rah, and, whoa, whoa, and honk, honk. <laughs> right. I, in any case, I'm sorry to say, I was I, I was quite drunk. <laughs> yeah. He asks Gennaro, are you ready to live dangerously? Because he basically says the speed that our Jeep can go at isn't really as fast as the fastest that the Rex can run. So um, Brilliant. he can run us down if he wants to. And Gennaro's like, um, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> And I would, given that the alcohol has now made an entrance, which I didn't really clock when I was reading it uh, the last time, was this, you can now see, again, Gennaro's point of view completely, can't you? Yeah. It's sort of like, because it's not just, would you like to live dangerously in a kind yeah. of a like proto James Bond kind of a way? It's like, would you like to live dangerously? <laughs> and you get the feeling that even without the dinosaurs, it would be quite dangerous driving with Muldoon right now. Yeah. Yeah, because Muldoon, throughout this bit now, he's not wrecked, but you're not 100% sure that he's, he's entirely like in control either. <laughs> it's in that weird sort of, that 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 weird bit you get with people when, when, you, when you're sober and they're drunk, where you're not yeah. quite sure if they, how drunk they are. Just <laughs> and you can't quite work out. It's where he is on that curve. You know how it is when you're playing pool yeah. and you've, you've been yeah, drinking? That's, how you yeah, get definitely. better at pool for the first point and a half and then afterwards it's all downhill. And what Gennaro is basically trying to do is look at Muldoon and work out if he's already passed the peak or if he's still on absolute form. Because if he's on form, nothing's killing him. You've got to get in that car, you're going to win the day. But if he's passed yeah. it, dearie me, it's, it's cue balls in pint pots is what's going to happen. <laughs> um, so they drive around this this area of flattened grass where the stampedes have been. They come across poor old little HD09 Hadrosaur, which is uh, lying dead in the <laughs> middle of the field. 90 to his mates. Yeah, 90. Poor old 90. Poor old 90. Um, but they're, uh, you know, I don't know if they're going to hold a little service for him or something, but any thought of what they do next is stopped because they get a call from Arnold because they, f- they think they've found Nedry. So Ooh. they're like, oh, right, let's go get our tranquilizer rocket launcher back then. So they, they go, so they go, go drive over to this part where they, they think Nedry is. Obviously, they find the Jeep, which is clearly that Nedry has taken a wrong turn somewhere. <laughs> um, they've found out now that all these embryos have gone missing. And uh, they're talking about this while they're sort of looking around the, the site of the car and the, the body. And Muldoon said, Gennaro says, you know, oh, so he was stealing embryos. And Muldoon says, yeah, it's a, it's sort of a lucrative business if you can do it. He says, yeah. it, you can make between two and ten million pounds yeah. from embryos. And <clears throat> it just shows that Nedry has been, was being a bit screwed there because I think yeah. he didn't he stand to make a million or a million and a half. It was a million even, and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like low end. And yeah. it just shows, uh, this reflects poorly on Nedry, doesn't it? Like, he's going to go through this corporate espionage bullshit, and he's not even going to bother to find out what the value of that information might be. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, it could just be, you know, could just be Muldoon as a professional hunter, professionally over-talking the size of the, the, size of the yeah. situation. You know, yeah. you should have seen the size of the one that got away. Two million. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, when they come across Nedry's body, it's always been found by those companies. Do you remember when... Uh, Harding was driving back in the Jeep ages ago and the companies were on the 
way over somewhere. Mm. That's where they were going, obviously, and uh, they've been having a chow down. Yeah. Did you think? Did you think Muldoon's response to this was a bit weird? The they blinded him, then ripped him down the middle. Not a nice way to go. Maybe there's justice in the world after all. No, the bit afterwards where he goes, where Gennaro goes, should we take him with us? And he goes, what for? And just walks off as the, as the dinosaurs start eating Nedry's face. I yeah, I thought it was um, <clears throat> it was an interesting difference between Ed, you know finding Ed Regis's leg. I yeah. was going to say that because Ed Regis's leg, he walked around over his shoulder. You know, like sort of mustn't let this, mustn't let this be let go of. You know, must keep this honor the dead and so on. Nedry's yeah. there, and he's just like fuck him, fuck him in both rapidly widening nostrils. I was like, what the what's the matter with you? Jeez, do you know well, what I mean? I, is it not just? <clears throat> it's just sort of Muldoon's what Muldoon thinks about the two characters, isn't it? The first, yeah. uh, with with Ed Regis, he, you know. The poor, he's a bit, feels sorry for him, you know, he just got wrong place at the wrong time, he was a decent bloke. Nedry basically has caused all this trouble <laughs> because he's a greedy old, greedy little fucker. Yeah, so he yeah, thinks, yeah, yeah leave him. Leave, leave, he doesn't even deserve a decent burial, you know. He's, yeah. wor- he's, he's the lowest of the low, basically, as far as Muldoon's concerned. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you're right, that's clearly it. But it was quite, it's quite breathtaking, really, you know, the difference between carrying around somebody's leg and leaving them to be eaten, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing is they've got their they've got their rocket launcher tranquilizer back now as well, so they can they can actually hunt down the the wrecks and get him back in the pen. We're back on the river, and there's just this there's this chat. It's a bit sort of a, another just a bit of downtime between with Grant and the kids here, and mm. they're talking about how Tim's interested in dinosaurs and all this. And um, I just like this quote from Lex where she she says that her dad <laughs> she echoes her dad. She says. Tim, only very young boys are interested in dinosaurs. He's <laughs> quite good. It's good, isn't it, how well sketched that the sort of dysfunction of that family environment is. You know, yeah. like where you've got... Because the kids... Alex, I found increasingly infuriating during this whole section. What with cough, cough, shriek, shriek, very nearly chomp, chomp. Yeah. Um, and it's just amazing to me that she's still alive. And, and she also keeps snapping back to this kind of like like self-involved little kid thing where of course I'm right about everything I'm seeing around me um, yeah. and one of the ways is this you know that she's clearly clearly Tim gets this shit all the time at home and mm. clearly Lex is her dad's favourite very much because she likes sport yeah. um, and and so she's just you know completely playing off that in the way that in a, with a callousness that only kids can display you know yeah yeah um, they they continue floating down the river and the aviary comes into comes into view, which is this massive sort of uh, massive area, which is obviously for keeping birds in. And Grant oh, remembers birds, Matt. <laughs> birds, yeah, big ass dino birds, terrifying leather dinosaur bird things. <laughs> Yeah, but as they float towards it, Grant remembers that in the original plans there was sort of plans for a second lodge there. So maybe, maybe it's there, and maybe there's a phone. Good news. <laughs> could be. Could be. You would think. I'm not not now, too optimistic about that, but let's see. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> move on to the chapter called Aviary. Um, we're in the control room at first. All the systems are working again now. Uh, Arnold's feeling pretty good, um, and then they start for some. <laughs> Fairly uh, 
conveniently they start chatting about Arnold and Gennaro start talking about the aviary yeah. and um, and how dangerous it is <laughs> just by chance just happen <laughs> to be discussing it at this moment in time yeah what our heroes don't know <laughs> uh, we cut back to to the aviary and um, Grant and the kids get out of the boat get out of the little raft walk over to the to the lodge the lodge is just this shell with like mm. boards up everywhere and just caked in bird shit, <laughs> and it's like, mm. okay. I wonder why this wasn't on the tour. <laughs> yeah, um, and then this attack starts from these. I think they're the pterodactyls rather than ter- t- so. Okay, little dinosaur facts here. The pterodactyls are the ones with the big beaks. Yeah, um, the ones that you would normally imagine when you think about dino birds. Yeah, the pterodactyls are the ones they're in Jurassic Park world with the little sort of. They look like, like mini Tyrannosaur heads on birds. Oh yeah, and with that long like tail thing with the yeah. with the vein on it. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> yeah. I I actually thought when I saw those in, in Jurassic World that that they'd just gone completely off piece like they did with the Indominus Rex and just made up a dinosaur. Because they looked to me like flying Tyrannosaurus Rexes and I was like, nah mate. Yeah. yeah. Do me a favour. But it turns out they're actually real. That those are you know, those are real dinosaurs. Yeah. But they're supposed to be mad, much bigger than pterodactyls. They're supposed to be like 10 foot long. Yeah. Which I thought was quite, uh, quite frightening. Yeah. So there's this dive bombing bit where they, they, Grant and the kids are trying to get back to the raft and they run away because these animals are swooping down around them. Uh, one of them tries to, one of them grabs Lex and Grant has to sort of run over and like, just <laughs> punch it. Through oh no, you it. don't, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I like I like this as well, where he's sort of fighting with it, and the wings are flapping around him, and, he, and it's described as like being in a tent in a thunder, like in a storm. Oh, it's like, great description, isn't it? Yeah. And tell you what, tell you what, the film did not do properly was that. Yeah. Like it was all it was all very chaotic, but I just wasn't engaged with that sequence at all. But but in this bit, you could I mean I imagine filming that as well. Just be such a good way of making it feel really like terrifyingly claustrophobic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, be incredible sequence yeah it also um it, it once he like <clears throat> manages to knock it off it gets up and it, it waddles off on its wings and i love that idea that because <laughs> <laughs> it it feels a bit i don't know about you whenever i see kind of renditions of dinosaurs walking on the wings um it does feel a little bit like that kind of exaggeratedly nonchalant walk thing where you put to put your thumbs in behind your braces and just sort of just like kind of a like a, a proto can can sort of thing <laughs> being performed by this massive leather winged horror from beyond. Genius. <laughs> Put a little yeah. bit like uh, like honky tonk piano behind it. <laughs> the um the animals uh, the 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 sort of eventually fly off up into the uh, up into the rafters if you like. Um, with something of Lex's, they nearly grab Lex, and then then Lex actually she sort of throws something um, because it's a good sort of it's a bit of quick thinking from her. Turns out it's a baseball glove, and, um, and as they're making their escape on the river, she's like, "They got it! They got my Daryl Strawberry Special," <laughs> <laughs> which meant oh. actually. That um, Daryl Strawberry was the only baseball player that I knew from like this period. I know, right? Because of this line. Because <laughs> that one line, that and that Simpsons episode, right? So you get, yeah, to, yeah, you get yeah. to learn a few more from that. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, otherwise completely lost on me. Yeah, yeah, who's it? What's it? What? What? Great. Is that a big deal? Yeah. Yeah. So so they get out of the aviary. Um, luckily, the only thing they've lost is the Daryl Strawberry Special uh, Baseball Glove. <laughs> Could have been worse, couldn't it? You'd have, have to been. say that. Could have been worse. Could have been worse. Um, so they're back on the river now, and the, on the road again. <laughs> yeah, continuing down this very safe journey down the river, and <laughs> once again, I ask, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> and it turns out the Dilophosauruses are now by the river, um, either side of the river, hooting to each other in some kind of weird mating ritual, and. <laughs> The grunt's like, right, we're going to have to wait. <laughs> you would have expected, wouldn't you, a dinosaur that's as like, sort of inventively horrible as the Dilophosaurus would have a slightly more complicated mating ritual than sort of honking and then having a drink of water and then, then looking. Imagine, imagine that, just sexy eyes over the table, candle lit, take a sip of water, honk, honk, <laughs> over the other side of the table, little twitch of the eyebrows, take a sip of water, honk, honk. <laughs> romance, Matt, is what it is. But you would have expected it to be a little bit more robust, wouldn't you? Sort of like, you know, like instead of taking a sip of water, spitting horrific blinding acid into the eyes of the nearest prey animal in order to express yeah. your, you know. I, I tell you what, dinosaur romance, closed book to me. I haven't got a clue. <laughs> oh, and just before we got to the hooting, and I, I, nearly, I nearly missed this, uh, the Tyrannosaur attacks again. It tries to get through the undergrowth but mm. the, the sort of undergrowth by the river is too thick for it to get through so it just sort of roars at them from <laughs> <laughs> and you can the Dilophosaurs in that case they break off from their romantic assignation to sort of just flick them the V's and be like yeah jog on son <laughs> yeah uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go into that in more detail um, a bit later on because we just flick back to Malcolm briefly now Mm. Uh, Malcolm in the lodge. Uh, he's still obviously his condition's still deteriorating. Mm. He's he's still warning of this impending Malcolm effect. He says we're on the edge of another crisis here, and you know the fact everybody else thinks it's a it's all solved is part of the problem. Um, right now, with hindsight, obviously it's difficult not to just be completely on Team Malcolm because we know that you know that he's a badass and that he's he's right when he predicts these things. Yeah. Um but um if you were there would you be taking him seriously? He is after all totally smacked off his tits. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he goes into this general rant doesn't he about um science in in general. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He he he's for for a scientist he he really hates science. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? I yeah. I I don't know about you, but this is one of the bits that I really love about about the Jurassic Park books. Like I say, I mean, you want to be a bit careful with Michael Crichton as a guide to the world of science. But mm. he does have... I love that he takes time out of what's, after all, just a techno-thriller about people being eaten by dinosaurs to mm. to like get into this really interesting sort of philosophical stuff about... Uh, you know, the way, the the kind of self-importance with which people view the world and this idea of thin intelligence, which is a terrible pun, but is actually quite mm. quite insightful, I think, this idea that people people only bring their undoubted intelligence to bear on things they think it's their job to care about. And yeah. so they don't really think about the consequences of their actions. Yeah. It's, it, yeah, it's the sort of, the idea of focusing on a, on a very specific task, isn't it? Which is, yeah. he says, is a very Western idea of thinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
To be honest with you, if he's going to go around making pronouncements like that, I would quite have liked for there to be a more uh, more in-depth breakdown of what the alternatives might be. You know, mm. instead of just... Because otherwise, it's just... It's that argument which says, you know, we shouldn't have an army because in Tibet, if, if they want something, they give it away. And, mm. like, that's not itself an argument in favour of anything. That's just saying they do things differently elsewhere. Like, I want to look at the, the relative merits of it, but... <laughs> I might yeah. be the only person in Jurassic Park's entire audience who comes to this for comparative anthropology, so probably probably a good <laughs> thing you didn't get into that. Yeah. So he says the problem is scientists are that they're obsessed only with achievement, mm. um, and he sort of has a pop at the the sort of high-minded ideals of science to sort of um, explain things, and he says that it's more about <laughs> just making an achievement for yourself. Yeah. And th- this is where the classic line from the film comes in, the you know, the the were so you were so obsessed whether you could do something you didn't stop to think if you should do it. And oh, um, he lays the smack down, doesn't he? He's like an old testament prophet in tight leather trousers. Yeah. But I think the even more striking quote of these two, which often doesn't get talked about as much, he says what you call discovery, I call the rape of the natural world. Yeah. Which is a quite strong Absolutely, yeah, and it's easier to make that argument in the context of Jurassic Park than it is in general, I think. Mm. But um, but again, that was the moment where I thought what you said, you know, for a scientist, he doesn't seem to be too into science because what he's doing there is writing off the whole scientific method as an intrinsically worthless thing or a thing mm. who's, which is inherently violent and that's the only important thing about it, um, which I thought was, I mean, interesting. Yeah, but a bit weird to put in the mouth of a mathematician, you know. Yeah, he he takes the example because Ellie's with him at this point, and he asks her, you know, um, do you repair the sites that you that you dig in in the Badlands in America? Yeah. And Ellie admits that you know there's only enough money to dig and not to sort there's of not repair the area. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he says though that's that's problem <laughs> yeah yeah um, absolutely and that kind of you know and then she says well it's only the badlands which yeah. you have to say is not a great piece of a great piece of branding on the part of that part of the world to call themselves the badlands because he's pretty much guaranteed that nobody's going to care about them <laughs> then, what should we do with them should we look after them no they're bad clues in yeah. the name yeah uh but but it, that is quite interesting um you know that she's like that she does kind of admit yeah you know what we don't actually we don't act as though it really matters because there's yeah. no profit in it, you know. I, I, you know, there's a truth universal. Well, should be universally acknowledged that there's some things the market's brilliant at, and a load of things that it's totally fucking terrible at. And one of them is acknowledging where there's value that can't be put down in dollars and cents. Hmm. I thought he was on a bit shakier ground with the comparisons to history of what has science ever done for us stuff. Where he says the time it takes to clean a house is the same yeah. as it was in the 1930s. <laughs> I'm not sure it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, that is a statistic I've heard from somewhere else. Like yeah. I've, I've I've read that elsewhere, but and I think that is a fairly that, there is an interesting conversation to be had about how lab, quote labor saving devices in fact do not save any labor they just make you feel like they are, mm. um, but how he gets there from a discussion of digging up the badlands and science being the rape of the natural world like he's gone from being this like his his the thing he's arguing in favor of there has gone from being. You know, the, the the beautiful, pristine, unspoiled beauty of a natural way of doing things in humanity is a kind of blight on that. And then he switched right to, yeah, and, and look at how much ironing you have to do still. Eh? Eh? Where's, where's my jetpack? 
is where he goes to, right? <laughs> and that's, that is a strange thing to go from, like, hyper-environmentalist to, like, utilitarian efficiency <laughs> nerd in, in the art, in, and act as though that's the same aim at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he tries to explore it from all these different a- angles, doesn't he? Because he also says about the... He, he says, you know, when, when cavemen were knocking about, they worked an average of 20 hours a week. Um, and that was thirty thousand years ago, and then they could they could spend the rest of the time enjoying themselves. And again, I, I think he's paints a bit of a rosy picture of what it was like to be a king. Yeah, I was going to say, or you could stub your toe on a, a, an easily disguised stick and die of gangrene in horrible pain, or indeed get eaten by a saber toothed tiger. <laughs> or what are you yeah. going to do with your leisure time anyway? Well, you know, Xbox. <laughs> you have to say that there are some things which I think human civilization has done since we lived in caves which have been somewhat worthwhile not even yeah. technology you know music why not storytelling creativity all of these things which yeah. it seems clear well it seems clear have, have certainly grown in extent uh, since mm. that time but uh, who knows maybe we've lost an entire prehistoric filmmaking industry or maybe everybody was an, a, like a Laurence Olivier standard actor, maybe. I don't know. But that doesn't seem to me the argument that he's making. Yeah. Uh, well, he, he, he sort of he rounds off the point saying, you know, 400 years of science has not really brought us anything. And we shall return to that because he, um, he gets back on his subject a bit later on. So we'll leave that there for now. Ian Malcolm's um, Natural Philosophy 101 and Ian yeah. Malcolm's Natural <laughs> Philosophy 102. <laughs> uh, we return to the river. Where, yeah, so we've got these Dilophosaurus who are hooting at each other in a mating ritual. In a mating then, sort of a way. Yeah, and then turn to, to sort of shout, at, to, to, to roar at the Rex when it turns up again. Um, two things here. One, with the mating ritual. Um, I, I flick back here, such as my sort of sad uh, interest in this book. <laughs> I, flick, I flick back to the uh, those grids with all the names of the different dinosaurs on. And which ones have been breeded and which ones oh, haven't. Look at the look at the data. The data is where yeah. the story happens. Yeah, Ma- see, I'm, I'm I'm taking sort of Malcolm a Malcolm approach here. But the, the Lophosauruses <laughs> yeah. um, weren't the ones that were. You know, they weren't the funny frog <laughs> DNA. <laughs> so what's going on here? Have we got sort of some lesbian the Lophosauruses looking about? Could be. Could be. It's documented. I quite like the idea that they're just acting purely on instinct, and then when it comes down to it, they'll be like, so what do we do here, then? What's the... Ooh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, I find you very attractive. You find me very attractive. We've been honking and drinking water all, all evening. We all know what that means. But when it comes right down to it, what do we do now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a bit weird. The other yeah. thing I was going to say is, um, earlier in the book, the tr- we, we, we decided that the reason that effectively Lex survived and Malcolm and Grant mm. was because the Rex had just eaten mm. and couldn't really be bothered. Mm. Um, but it turns out, this from now on, he's just... It, he's, he's had a massive meal so much that he nearly fell asleep, well, he fell asleep for a bit. And he's just acting like a dick, the Rex. He's just, he's just, <laughs> he's just bullying these these poor little, like, three little humans who are trying to make their way back. And he just keeps running after them for no apparent reason other than he's a dickhead. That's amazing. <laughs> it is, it's, it's, it's T-Rex Asbos is what we need here, isn't it? In between the juvenile T-Rex and the daddy T-Rex. This is, this is essentially shameless with slightly more kind of knobbly skin. Is, is the situation. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm bored. Reckon I'll follow them around. Shit them right up. It'd be amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's basically trolling them, isn't he? Yeah. Right at the end, he's just going to turn and give a certain look to the camera and be like, you mad, bro? <laughs> I get the impression, I imagine him like just sneaking along near the river, waiting until they sort of, they relax for a second, and then just goes, guess who? <laughs> <laughs> And you, you sort of want them to sit down with him, don't you? And just be like, look, I don't think this is about me, is it, T-Rex? I think you've got problems. Stuff's not happy at home, is it? Your son, he's running around, he's stealing your food. You know, it's, it's not, not good days, is it? Do you want to talk about it a bit? Because quite frankly, quite frankly, you've tried to eat me twice already. And we both know that's not what you want to do. Yeah, get touchy feely with a T Rex and see how far it yeah. gets you. <laughs> but you know what I mean. There is no reason for him to be chasing these these three oh, little morsels. Absolutely, him- <laughs> he's eating so bloody. What is he? So is he a gourmet? Is he? Is he? He's just sort of like, oh, an interesting little snack. I will chase them. Maybe they will taste interesting, like chocolate or perhaps marmite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's just he's like he's just got out of his paddock for the first time he's on a gap year basically isn't he the T-Rex he's running around experiencing all of these things for the first time indiscriminately consuming left right and centre just wanting yeah. to fill himself with all of the sensory experiences <laughs> that are available in the world in which context when he gets shot with some quite strong tranquilizers in a bit I imagine he was quite up for that I yeah. imagine he'd be like sort of like yeah yeah bring it on man I want everything I want everything I want to just Tap the vein, go on, put it in there. <laughs> oh, I think it, I think I may have hit on it actually. It might have been that the juvenile Rex has been boasting after Ed Ledges, <laughs> and he's like, "Oh yeah, hadrosaur is all well and good, but the finest meat, <laughs> the finest meat has got it. You've not, you've never had any, have you? Have you, Big Rex? You don't." Oh, if you can, I would advise... I mean, not everyone can catch them. They're pretty quick. They're pretty sly. But the meat is... And the Rex is just... He's just tearing him up inside. I just hate him so much. <laughs> I've got to get these guys. <laughs> it's, that's quite, I like that. Like, the idea of him being a sort of frustrated kind of middle-class gourmet. Like, you must go to the farmer's market, darling, and get some of these lovely humans. They're just amazing. Yeah. Uh, so the, the Tyrannosaur inadvertently actually helps these uh, these little people that he's trolling stroke desperate to eat. Uh, because <laughs> Trollosaurus Rex. Trollosaurus. Oh, yeah. I love there that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's because as he, as he's uh, roaring at them from the bank, the Tilophosauruses obviously get distracted, so they can the grants and the kids can just sneak past while uh, while that happens. Mm. So this moment, we got a Tyrannosaur that Muldoon and his and Gennaro and a shitload of whiskey turn up. <laughs> I was going to say Robin Muldoon's heavily heavily sedated roadshow. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> So um, the Rex is obviously moving up and down the river. Um, yeah. they, they think maybe he's sort of chasing the little sort of dinosaurs that jump around in the trees. Mm. And um, Muldoon's like, right, here we go. And Gennaro looks at him and is like, you've been looking forward to this, haven't you? And Muldoon says, I've wanted to put a needle in this big bastard for a while. <laughs> <laughs> As he gets out. <laughs> right. 
As funny as that is, did that strike you as a little bit off-piste for somebody whose whole career dealt with not needles but shotgun shells? Like, do you think? <laughs> do you think he says that and he just dies a little bit inside? He's like, should be a shell, should be taking him out, should be, should be pop, pop, bang, bang, you're dead. Not puff, puff, needle, needle, you're asleep. That's not right at all. Yeah, <laughs> and that's well, why he's drinking. A- you see, that's why he's drinking. Well, if you're going to use a if you're going to use a tranquilizer, this is the one to use. If you want to sort of, if you if you believe your weapon is an expression of your manhood, because uh, you use 200 cc's for an elephant, and this thing fires a thousand cc's <laughs> to try and drop the T-Rex. Um, so basically, Mordin gets out of the jeep, kneels down, <clears throat> aims, fires, misses, and the Tyrannosaurus turns round sees these two other tasty morsels, roars at them, starts to charge. Muldoon reloads, basically faces this thing down, shoots again, appears to appears to miss a second time. In fact, his Rex probably is Yeah, open. I was going to say that. <laughs> I love that he tries to front through it afterwards as well, and Gennaro absolutely calls him on it. He's like, sort of, oh, it was, is there a battery in there? It must be the laser sights. You missed, didn't you? Oh, it was the laser sights. Come on, you missed. Yeah, yeah. alright, I suppose I might have had a little bit too much to drink. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, he leaps in the car, when he misses the second time, he leaps in the car, Gennaro hits the gas, and they just about escape. Um, the, there's a sort of a moment where you think the Rex is going to catch him up, especially after um, Muldoon said that it could probably run him down, but uh, they do manage to escape. Mm, mm. Uh, meanwhile on the river, things are going from bad to worse, as they reach <laughs> a waterfall with a 50-foot drop and a T-Rex waiting at the bottom. So, <laughs> low bedtime's past here. He's not teleported. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. They get, to, they get to the edge of the... They get to the lip of the rat. The, again, it's, what, it's, it's the same thing again. It's a waterfall. Shit, shit, it's a waterfall. Look down into the bottom. Guess who? <laughs> now, at this point, does the T-Rex not seem to look less menacing and more sort of needy? You know, just sort of like, hi guys, you want to hang out? Maybe I eat you a little bit? <laughs> no, T-Rex, fuck off. <laughs> so they uh, they crash down this waterfall, uh, land around the T-Rex. Tim and uh, Grant sort of swim past it. Mm. And Lex, for a moment, it looks like he, Lex has been eaten, but then it turns out it's just a life jacket. And then she sort of bobs to the surface, half drowned. How many? How many free rides is she going to get? Honestly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's the luckiest character in the book, isn't she? She is. How many times has it been like, oh well, that's Lex done then, and then it turns out, no, no, you're all right. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. So um, they they pull her from the river, and Grant manages to manages to bring her around and resuscitate her. Um, they go behind. They find, they've noticed these footprints leading behind the waterfall. So as the Rex is distracted with the life jacket, they sneak behind there, and it's this little sort of um, little cubby hole with a door and some machinery. So uh, Grant works out how to open it, walks through, and then the door shuts and locks behind him, and he can't work out how to get out again. <laughs> now I think we can all agree that any honest techno thriller at this point would just have him going. 
Oh fuck. <laughs> but no, no, he's not not Alan Grant. No, he might fall asleep at inconvenient moments, but but when he's when walking into unknown darkness that possibly contains the 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 first predators in the world that can sneak up on you and chew your face off and beat you in a cryptic crossword at the same time, he's like, "Don't care. Bring it on. Fine with that. Absolutely fine <laughs> with it." Um the, he is he, he is attacked here by a raptor, but it's a little 2-year-old one. <sighs> ooh, ooh, wipe the sweat away there. Yeah, it doesn't stop him capping it with a tranquilizer gun. Um. <laughs> At least he doesn't try and pet it like Nedry does in the film. You know yeah. what I mean? Where he's like, kind of, hey, guy, hey, you little... <laughs> ah, ah, ah. <laughs> yeah, so he shoots this uh, this baby raptor. But again, it's, a, it's another exact... It's a male one as well. So it's an example of, or further proof that the dinosaurs have been breeding. Mm. Um, but the, 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 the key fact here is he's stuck on the other side of the door. Meanwhile, the kids sort of don't know how to open the door themselves and they assume that he knows what he's doing because, you know, that's what kids do. They assume the adults know what the fuck they're doing. Yeah. Um, and as they're waiting, guess who shows up again? The T-Rex comes crashing through the waterfall. Um, <laughs> and uh, and this, there's this bit where... He sort of the Rex can't get them because they're too far back and he can't sort of fit his head through. So it opens its jaws and it sort of starts licking them, its tongue comes out and, and eventually wraps around Tim's head and starts dragging him towards the jaws. Ugh. What a way to go this could be. Yeah, this is that is is the um the episode cliffhanger, isn't it? That's that's thirty five minutes into the episode commercial break. What? Not the adverts. <laughs> He's about to die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he's he's trying to push the the uh, the sort of the the t- the tongue off his head. He smells of urine as well, which oh. made me think, oh, it's so horrible. He's got a gift like, for uh, evocative storytelling, hasn't he? Like just deciding what a dinosaur's tongue would smell like and then making you experience it. <laughs> yeah, and you can feel Lex trying to pull him back, and but obviously she's not strong enough to to stop it. And it looks like it could just be over. And then suddenly the tongue relaxes. The Rex's jaws close shut on it. So he bites his own tongue, effectively off, I'd imagine. And then he slips out. The The Rex slips out of the waterfall and lands sort of at the bottom in the pool. Mm. And Tim notices there's a little tranquilizer, well, little compared to the Rex's head, tranquilizer thing sticking in the <laughs> back of his head. Of tranquilizer <laughs> yeah, so it's, uh, or Watley's party for yeah. tranquilizer. Yeah. <laughs> KO <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. That's amazing. Alan Grant wins. Wins. <laughs> yeah. We flip back to the control room, and Muldoon's back now, and it's like, I did hit it, after all. Yeah. Like, yeah. Look at it. You yeah. <laughs> I'd love it if you tried to face it out then, after if you went, I did hit it, after all. I mean, obviously I hit it, of course I did. Pfft, there you go, see, <laughs> doubted me, didn't you? Apology accepted. And yeah. I like that there's actually, a, there's a fair chance that the thing that got him down was actually that Alan shot him all that time ago, as well, right? Because Alan had a had a shot with a um, oh he did yeah with a tranquilizer yeah. gun. I'd quite like if it turned out that like later on in the book somebody found Muldoon's two massive like boats full of tranquilizer just smashed on the ground in the mud. Like <laughs> oh Muldoon, eh, eh, Mister Marksman, 
you clown. <laughs> um, Arnold takes this moment to enjoy his brief period of supreme triumph. He says, everything's back to normal. We are fully back online now. Phones are working. Fences are working. Everything's sorted. And Gennaro just goes, what's, what's that in the corner? It says, auxiliary power low. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Arnold's like, um, I don't, and Henry Booth's saying, you shouldn't be running out of auxiliary power. He's saying, we're not. I don't. And then as, as they're having this conversation, it turns to auxiliary power fail. <laughs> and suddenly, and suddenly everything starts switching off. And it's again, it's the WTF sign over the <laughs> control room. You can almost hear the music, can't you? Just going, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> yeah. Um, as the power goes off, the waterfall out in the park stops. It looks like it's, a, it's, it's, it's not a real waterfall. <laughs> I really love this bit. It's just a sort of what? Sort of yeah. like like stepping on a stair that isn't there kind of moment, right? Where you're yeah. like, is uh, eh? And yeah. <laughs> and 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 particularly, I liked it as a little symbol of just how fake Jurassic Park is. You know, Malcolm's yeah. been off on this whole thing about you know, oh, you know, it's not real and it's all artificial and you know, it's all it's all a lie. And it turns out that even even the waterfalls are fake. Now, it's not clear to me how the hell a fake waterfall stops running, because as far as I can see, you pump water towards an edge, and it falls off. Mm. So are they, like, saving it back there and just sort of turning on pipes? Is it like a like a swimming pool flume? Pipe, pipes of water just kind of flowing down the whole thing, or what? Like, yeah, is it a fake river? So. Yeah. Unless, yeah, I suppose it is, yeah, must be. Must yeah. be a, a source, it stops. Yeah, um, which actually, so cut to the Dilophosaurs back up at the top of the thing, trying to, still trying to do their extremely lengthy and questionable mating <laughs> procedure by taking sips out of a river that's just run dry. Uh, well, Oh, come on! Yeah, I was going to say, I was, I'm on a promise here, come on! <laughs> yeah, um, obviously the other thing that happens here is the, the lock releases on the door, so it just swings open, yeah. and Grant's like, yeah... So work. <laughs> yeah, well done, kids. And like, um, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're welcome, so, Doctor Grant. <laughs> back in the control room, uh, they're trying to work out what's happened. Uh, they go into the lines of code. They, they realise that um, basically, when the system comes back online, as it should do, it um, it basically starts up on auxiliary power, where it's like a battery, and then you use that to start the rest of the. Fences, which makes absolute sense because if you have something shorted out, if you if you sort of try and start up on mains power again, it'll just keep shorting out again and again and yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. So it's a safety feature which they just forgot about, and um, there have been a number of warnings that have shown up which Arnold's missed, <laughs> and I think I quite like this because it. I mean, the the it's made reference to in a few chapters before um, that Arnold's been working sort of flat out for about the best part of 20 hours now. Yeah. And it's just another example of how they try to automate so much so that just one person or two people mm. could run the whole thing. And yeah. the problem is, <laughs> just it's human error, isn't it? And yeah. the human error is going to get worse and worse if you make someone work for that long. Absolutely, yeah. And plus, like particularly when you design dashboards that aren't really good enough you know where they're supposed to get all this feedback on how to do their jobs and on all the variables that are going on in the park which as it turns out is a lot Mm. but um but this is just 
like, why have you not put a siren on the damn thing? Warning, mm. warning, the park fences aren't turned on. Warning, mm. warning, terrifying carnivores from before time might be roaming around outside your house. You know, yeah. instead of just a sort of blinky sort of like, just really, just, it's like somebody sitting really quietly in the corner of the room going, shit's getting serious now. It's just not bothering <laughs> if anybody pays attention. Shit's getting more serious. Shit's pretty serious yeah. now. Tell you what, you might be about to get eaten. Oh, you've been eaten. Oh, you know, who, yeah. who programmed that? Oh, yeah. as it turns out. <laughs> yeah, Con- considering the um, considering the the size and scale of the alarm system for when the auto poop mechanism mm-hmm. fails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. You get a really annoying, full-on a wooga a wooga thing when you take the pills out of the dinosaur's food, right? Yeah. But but when the entire park's about to shut down because it's running on fumes, nothing. Just be careful now. Yeah. Probably gonna probably gonna fail now. Oh, it's failed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that I think that's quite nice of just showing how the the focus of the park was so much on keeping the animals alive because that's what they were most worried about, mm. and the other issues of safety and stuff they just assumed was going to be okay. <laughs> but you're right. The extent of the um, of the warning has been this flashing. Warning fence status NB, which no one had seen, which basically means the fences have been off for five hours. Um, <laughs> and as as they uh, as they realise this, they hear a scream from outside. A on cue, like, on cue. <laughs> yeah. as if, yeah. It's as if the raptors have been waiting. Yeah, about that time. <laughs> okay, about <laughs> that time, isn't it? Go on, bite him on the face. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, there's nothing like a sudden crisis to sort of sober uh, a guy up, though. And Muldoon s- suddenly slips into crisis management and seems a whole lot more with it. Um, and he sa- he says, "This is the plan, basically. Him and Arnold are going to make their way over to the maintenance shed to to actually start the you know restart the park properly because after." Yeah. Prime the pump it um, manually. Yeah. Um, in the me- meantime, Wu is going to stay in the control room because it's the only other guy who knows how to work the computer. Mm. And then everyone else is going to get round to the lodge and just wait it out there because it's the safest place. Mm. And um, he says to Gennaro, "Do you want to live dangerously again?" And Gennaro's like, um, "Not really. <laughs> He's just said that the raptors are right, so maybe not." Um, <laughs> And, I do and, like that, very calculating. I'll level with you, not in the slightest. Living yeah. dangerously is massively overrated. <laughs> and Hammond says, Hammond, who's still here, but very quiet now, says, oh, what are you going to do to my animals? And Mordoon's like, the question now is what they're going to do, do to us. Yeah. Um, is yeah. it suiting up? It's yeah. quite an epic moment, actually. It is, it's it? just like, <laughs> no, no. What are they going to do to us? It's really you've got to do the Batman voice for it, haven't you? Kind of like, Mr. Hammond, yeah. I don't think you understand. I'm Batman. <laughs> and you've got to punctuate it with sort of pumping the shotgun. Yeah. It's not a question of what we do to them. It's what they do to us. <laughs> um, so it's actually a rocket launcher that he's got. This is a this is a bona fide, proper rocket launcher now. No, he's not worried about tranquilizing anymore. This is to to blow animals to bits. Um, Gennaro actually changes his mind and follows Muldoon. He, it's quite brave of Gennaro, actually, isn't it? It's like you're going to need some help, aren't you? Muddy's like mm, probably. Uh, so they head off, and as they walking down the corridor, like getting these weapons, 
Muradin Muradin basically gives Janawa the shells and he has the obviously Muradin has the rocket launcher and he says the problem is they're so hard to kill these things like the raptors yeah Um, just sort of sets it up yeah they go outside they go outside and it looks like Arnold's decided to sort of set off on his own anyway make a run for it because he's already outside and he's backed up against a shed with three raptors around him Um, so he sort of made a run for it nearly got there and has been cornered yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> shit. Yeah, and uh, to their credit, I think, actually, they don't just turn up and go, Arnold, what the fuck? <laughs> we, yeah. we make a bl- Also, how did that happen that quickly, right? Because there was a screen from outside, and then in the next paragraph, Muldoon's all business, and he's like, kind of, right, let's go, let's put on the guns, let's go out there. The raptors are clearly out there, so it's all going to be shit. Uh, at what point in the middle of that sentence did Arnold go, I reckon I'm going to sort it out myself? Bye! <laughs> yeah, because Muldoon does say, right, Arnold, get to the shed, but he also says, I'll cover you. And Arnold obviously doesn't hear that bit. Maybe he's just panicking and thinks, shit, right, I've got to get these back on. And he makes he bails. But anyway, he's mm. backed up against, for whatever reason, he's stuck out there. He's backed up against <laughs> the shed. And I love this bit. There are these three raptors sort of fanning out, getting ready to strike. And then one of them just basically explodes. <laughs> And Muldoon just says, that'll wake him up. <laughs> but again, he's not actually Batman, is he? He's drunk Batman, right? He's like, yeah. that'll, wake, that'll wake him up. I think I shot you, you dinosaur fucker. <laughs> I, th- I think it's neither of them, actually. I, I think, thinking about it, because he's got the adrenaline pumping now, which kind of does tend to sober you up a bit. I think this is a, as it blows up. Wow! That'll wake him up! <laughs> Bring it on! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so he fires at one, and then um, I think he he gets Gennaro to reload, and Gennaro puts the shell in the wrong way round. Fucking useless. And, uh, <laughs> Gennaro. What's, it, what's his first name? Donald fucking useless Gennaro is what we're going to call him. <laughs> but yeah, there's that. And then he fires, he fires a shot again. And then there are screams from... Some, Arnold makes it to the maintenance shed, runs inside. There are screams from somewhere else. And it's basically all falling apart now. And mm. Gennaro says... This could be a disaster. And Muldoon's response is just load. <laughs> he just, he's, just got, he's just got a he's got a job to do. He's though. got game face on, eh? That's that's what's <laughs> happened here. Absolute yeah. game face on. Yeah. Uh we've cut to Wu up in the um control room and he hears a scream and he says he thinks it sounds like Muldoon. So it's like uh oh. But <laughs> But I love the way this. I love the way this is staged. The sort of flicking perspectives to increase the tension. Um, so you don't. You kind of. You kind of know what's happening. Then you don't know what's happening. Then you do. And you don't. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> cuts back to Muldoon. Muldoon's running now for his life. Gennaro's running off in the other direction, and he feels he's got ten ten seconds, maybe less, before he get before one of the raptors jumps him. Yeah. Yeah. So, and judging by what happens in the film. I was reading this thinking, end of the road for Muldoon. This. Yeah, absolutely, isn't it? Like, and, and Crichton's very good at these moments where it looks like somebody's about to die and then you cut away and it turns out they're still alive. But in an yeah. even worse situation, 
Yeah. He's very well done. And I, I think it's really striking. What grabbed me about this whole sequence is just how quickly it all goes to shit once the Raptors get out. Like, once yeah. they know that the Raptors are out, it's like they go out there all suited up, all military, or they're weaponed up, is what they are. They are yeah. military grade, and they go out and they take six steps, and Arnold's run off in one direction, Genera's run off in another direction. They're just <laughs> comprehensively owned by these yeah. animals. And, yeah. and and I also quite liked because it was because it was kind of giving Muldoon's thought processes as he ran away screaming. I kind of yeah. had this image in my head of like you know how like when small children like maybe six seven year old boys particularly will just like run around a playground just like yelling their heads off for the sake of it just like yeah. ah! <laughs> for the sheer joy of making a loud noise like yeah. that's what I pretty much saw him doing but with a rocket launcher and pursued by a raptor like somehow getting back in touch with his childhood recklessness yeah yeah <laughs> it's the uh yeah it is it's it is remarkable to say quickly it all um it all goes to shit here and mm. um, we, we just have a, a very brief uh, sort of lull as we cut over to the lodge and um <laughs> hammond as hammond's like telling malcolm what's happened and hammond's like the raptors have got out and Ham and Malcolm's like, oh, and he goes, yeah, there was some problem with the system. It was a screw up. Oh, and, like, and then he goes, go to hell, you super silly bastard. <laughs> Which is a great put down. He's done well there. It is. It is a great put down. But I'm with Malcolm on that one. Just like it's. It is. It is. Ten years before this became a meme on the internet, it's just, oh really? Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, Malcolm then fires back with a quite comprehensive bollocking of his own. Where he, uh, he basically lays it on um, Hammond, say, saying, you know, this was inevitable, this is why, and, you know, you still can't see it, can you? Mm-hmm. Um, he said, again, it's, it's another monologue, basically, about, about you know, Malcolm's views on the, the hubris of science, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. And you have to say, whether one agrees with Malcolm, kind of in principle or not, this is exactly the moment for it, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like, something's gone wrong. Hmm. Human error, was it? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Allow me to take this moment to expound on my views, which, as it turns out, are completely 100% damn well correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, he an uh, interesting thing here. He, he raises this um, this the idea of sort of standing on the shoulders of giants and the mm. uh, the fact that to to get power in many other forms. Like for, he gives example of like a karate master, you have to <laughs> put a lot of sacrifice in. Yeah, and to get the power that they've had, these sort of genetics creating dinosaurs, they've just read what other people have done and taken the next step, and there's no there's no sort of discipline there. Um, and he says that's the problem with what's happened. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we go back to Arnold in the maintenance shed. Mm. The the shed's pitch black. No one's thought to install any sort of... Well, obviously, because all the power's off. No or or emergency lighting, which things. is not actually yeah. expensive. Yeah, <laughs> like, don't have any of that. I have to tell you, actually, this is a weird little sidebar, but I have a different perspective on this, having now lived for quite a lot of years in a place where power cuts are quite common. Yeah. Because now I'm like, 
now it's not just like, oh man, I can't believe, man, if only they'd thought to put up safety lights. Like now, not having lights that work even when the power's off is sort of like forgetting to close the windows before taking off in a plane. It's like, <laughs> how could you be that fucking stupid? How, like, is it expensive to buy batteries? Is it, is it difficult? Solar panels a bit pricey for you, were they? What's the matter with you? <laughs> yeah. So the only way he can see where he's going, Arnold, is by kicking off his shoe and wedging open the door. And then he wanders inside, and then the light gets blocked out. He looks up. Oh, shit. A raptor's arrived. Danger. Danger, danger. On all of this uh, set inside this, this kind of stainless steel hole in the ground, hell as well in the dark, right? And all you can yeah. see, all you can see, is raptor shadows. And I think Steven Spielberg really made the most out of that whole motif. I think this is a great, great example of how Michael Crichton and Steven Spielberg were the perfect author and director for this story mm. to make the most of its particular format. That was great. Come back to Henry Wu for some good news. Um, Muldoon is actually alive. He's uh, he's stuffed himself in a pipe, um, <laughs> and because so dignity. Yeah, he's found some maintenance sort of pipes behind the visitor centre and he's jumped in one of those. Um, we actually cut back over to Muldoon then to find out a bit more about it. Um, it's, a, it's a lot of fun to be... Uh, this very rarely happens. I can't think of many instances where we're in a Muldoon POV, but this little paragraph is is in Muldoon's head Yeah, uh, where he's stuck in this pipe. It's, it's a lot of fun being in his head, isn't it? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, just... Yeah, I just, uh, like, because because he's drunk and because he's dramatic and because he has this kind of, like, he's the one character who's not just basically going, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Or, like, dealing with this as a new situation. He's the guy whose whole career has been running away from animals that want to eat him. So yeah. um, so he has this kind of really entertaining, like Malcolm, he just has a different perspective and it's quite kind of caustic and therefore quite entertaining, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's this bit he's, he's thinking about how, what's happened so far, and he's <clears throat> he didn't. <laughs> there's two things that I really find funny about this. One, um, when he remembers jump like climbing into this pipe, he's he, he remembers it as had to climb inside like a poor bastard. <laughs> it's like he's almost embarrassed about how he's done it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you would be, wouldn't you? You got to the end of a long career running away, facing down lions. And then you're yeah. like, gonna level up now, gonna take on some dinosaurs, and it turns out the moment things go to shit, you're roughly as useful as the little schoolgirl, only you're also drunk. Like it yeah. must be a real kind of fall from grace from his from him for a sense of sort of uh self respect. Yeah, I mean speaking of falls from grace, he, he only an hour ago he faced down a T Rex and it seems brought it down. So yeah, he's uh he's suddenly been humbled by these raptors. But Absolutely, yeah, he's crawling. Yeah. He's crawled in there like a poor bastard, and then he says, um, "He's uh, he shot. He blew the leg off one of them when one of the nosy bastards came around, like sniffing at the front of the <laughs> He's working his hardest to claim his cred back, isn't he? Took the bastard's yeah. leg out. Wish I'd waited till I saw his nose. No, you didn't, yeah. Robert, because it would have reached in and eaten your face. <laughs> you did the quite sensible thing. Don't front and pretend that you're harder than you are. <laughs> so we're back with Arnold. He, uh, he makes it to these stairs. The raptor's following him in now, but it's moving slowly because of the sort of the metal interior and stuff. It's a little unsure and the darkness and all that. He gets yeah, to these yeah. stairs and it's it's 20 feet down to this catwalk. Yeah. And he thinks if he can get to the stairs, he can run down the stairs and the raptor can't. 
because it's you know the because it is a small. truth universally acknowledged that mm. raptors can't run upstairs. This is like yeah. um, this is like Shaun of the Dead, isn't it? Dogs can't look up. Of course they can fucking look up. What's, what's the matter with you? Where have you got this? What what drinking session on a sunny Saturday afternoon in San Jose gave you the impression that dogs can't look up and raptors can't climb stairs? What? <laughs> yeah. So we'll do. So uh, Arnold gets to the bottom of the stairs, thinks made it, and then the raptor doesn't. To be fair to him, the raptor doesn't negotiate the stairs. But unfortunately, it just jumps down 20 feet and lands behind him. <laughs> and you can almost imagine him kind of looking up and just kind of going, and what now? <laughs> yeah. Um, so obviously, then he is absolutely fucked and it it jumps him and he ends up on his back with its claws digging into his uh, into his chest as he starts to scream. So that that is Arnold <sighs> gone. Arnold. At least he gets a death scene in this. In the film, he just gets a... His arm freaks Ellie out, and that's all that he gets. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. We see what happens in this one. You could sound a bit more excited about it. See what happens in this one. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, five minutes passes in the control room. It basically, they wait long enough to realise that something's gone wrong. Arnold's not get, not going to be switching this generator on anytime soon. So Henry Wu decides to cut the losses, get out, and save Muldoon. So at least bring one of them back alive yeah then we get a. Uh... oh no no he doesn't he's about to do oh, fucking hell sorry no, he's about right. to do uh, Wu's about to do that and then crackle crackle on the radio Gennaro says I'm going for it basically he, he, he knows where the, <laughs> he knows where the mate in his shed is he thinks fuck it it's his time to be the hero Um, so he's moving through the jungle mm. thinking I'm not that you know, he's thinking about the the line where Muldoon keeps asking him, "Do you want to live dangerously?" And he's thinking, "I'm not really that kind of guy, but needs must." Yeah. And as he's creeping through the jungle towards the shed, this for me had echoes of Jurassic Park film version Muldoon, and I was yeah. thinking he's going to get jumped here on the way to the on yeah. the way to the actual shed. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I read the book after seeing the film, so. When it goes off piece like this, the tension ratchets it yeah. ratchets up uh-huh. because yeah. I've no idea where it's going to go. That's interesting, um, isn't it? We keep, I think, we keep encountering that, don't we? When we when we do these things that have been adapted and we we're familiar with the adaptations as well to different media, like with Game of yeah. Thrones, where certain things happen, and even if you've read the books, you're like, no way, are they doing that now? Or no way, have they decided to change what's happening? Or you know, like you do get this extra sense of extra sense of tension from yeah. your higher level of information. I find that really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he, he actually does reach the maintenance shed, realises that he's left the radio behind. It's like, oh, fuck, I've left the radio. <laughs> <laughs> which, is ridic- which, is, which is sort of really daft, but also completely believable. I could imagine, I could yeah. imagine myself doing that yeah. in this situation. He's, he's it's the tense. ultimate, I've left my phone at home, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he he starts making his way inside, sees the shoe propping open the door, obviously Arnold's shoe, and sneaks down the corridor, feels um, something dripping on his shoulder, oh. realises it's, realizes it's blood, and then gets attacked by a raptor himself. Um, this is all very his feet. This is all very alien, isn't it? You know, metal gantries, yeah. mysterious liquids dropping on you from the dark. There's a horrible predator out there that is absolutely able to eat you at will. Yeah. Yeah, and in the end, he gets yeah he gets yanked off his feet by this raptor, and there I thought, 
That's it. Yeah. Gennaro gone as well. There we go. Dropping like which flies. I felt really, which I felt really bad for, actually. I, he's really grown on me, Gennaro. Has he really? Yeah. Why so? Yes. I think because he's... He, he comes across as sort of this reluctant hero. He's he's he, he's very aware of the fact that he's a bit of a coward in general, but he sort of does what he's got to. You know, he he does have these moments where he actually uh, he actually tries to do something worthwhile. Mm. Um, I think a bit later on is the moment where I think that I finally sort of come down a hundred percent on his side, but it's not really happened yet. All right, okay, let's uh, see. It. Looks like he's looks like he's dead, so it may not happen. But anyway, uh, this is the point where. Obviously, Wu then decides, right, we've had a few people take a run at this maintenance shed. It's not happened. Sort of cut your losses. Yeah. So he drives out to get Muldoon. Yeah. Um, back with Malcolm in the lodge, talking about science outliving its usefulness. Oh, love it. Ian Malcolm's philosoph- philosophy class 103. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this idea that he, he's basically now shooting down this idea that science could can have all the answers. And um, mm. he he made this point before about when we when he was talking about weather, he says uh, how misguided it is to think that you can predict things like that into the future, and that there's a formula to um, basically there's a, there's a formula to work out all these variables. You just mm. need to find it. And he he quotes a couple of like like says like the Heisenberg principle of uh, subatomic on a subatomic level things are impossible to predict. Yeah. And uh, Godel then um, sort of proved the same with mathematical solutions, saying that even mathematical formulas aren't always always right, which is quite hard to get your head around. Yeah. It basically means that on on a more complicated level, a more complicated version of 2 plus 2 doesn't always make 4. <laughs> yeah, I have one or two mathematician friends uh, who would be able to properly exegete that, but, I, you know, I... It loses me. It's to do with how yeah, you define numbers to start with, right? Um, yeah. But uh, apparently, it's a it's a fun it's a fun exercise that many maths professors do on the first day of a, a, a BSc in maths or whatever. They they mm. stand at the front for half an hour and through a sequence of uh, arithmetic reasoning prove that one plus one equals three. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not certain really why they do that unless they just want to give people like encourage the mathematicians to have a real sense that they do need to go out and drink heavily in the first week of university. <laughs> there mm. is the street. It has drinks. You need them because one plus one <laughs> equals three. <laughs> yeah, and um, in the end, Malcolm rounds off by saying if you're not depressed enough already, do you have any idea how unlikely it is that any of us are getting off this island alive? Um, <laughs> yeah. Which leads us nicely into Malcolm's sixth iteration, system recovery may prove impossible. <laughs> okay. Oh, Malcolm. I do love these little... They're so on the nose, aren't they, for saying that they're, they're sort of dry statements of apparently, you know, perfect mathematical... Uh, detachment they're so sort of they're so shit's getting real shit's getting real shit's got real <laughs> shit will not become unreal ever again shit's real <laughs> it's basically yeah, you can sum all of these things up all of these iterations <laughs> the next chapter is called return mm. and it's uh it's the triumphant return of grant and the kids to the visitor center because basically after the power cut they went down to the sort of little thing behind the waterfall Got in the electric car that was there and had driven all the way back to the visitor centre. We're here. 
Hey. It's absolutely fucked. There's, um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> the windows are smashed. There's fog everywhere. There's a dead guard behind the radio station. It's basically... It's a disaster. It's a real shame because this is the moment where they all thought we finally made it back after this horrendous experience, and it's all just <laughs> taken away from them. They use the guard. They use the radio at the guard's sort of station to speak to the people in the lodge. Mm. Uh, Ellie gets on the phone. Uh, gets on the radio. It's like, oh, Ellen, you're there. Uh, it turns out there's a fresh problem now. Uh, which is the raptors have now approached the lodge. Two of them have got onto the roof and they're trying to chew through the bars at the skylight. So there's a new there's a new imperative of getting the park back online and it's yeah. to save the people in the lodge. Yeah, 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 very much. And it does... I don't know about you, but I, I've been quite outspoken in the fact that I've become quite impatient with um, zombie fiction recently. Um, mm. But... Um, I quite liked this change of pace. Like it's sort of like he layered on yet another movie genre, you know, sort of mm. di- you know disaster movie, sci-fi aliens thing, and now he's gone for a zombie movie where they're trapped inside this building and there's horrible things outside that want to kill them, which are trying to break in and which will doubtless eventually do so. Mm. And um, and it's fantastic. Like the whole the whole next bit is just incredibly tense. Mm. So Grant decides. Crisis point now to leave the kids in the. It's basically, it's basically in a rock and a hard place here. Everywhere's dangerous. Yeah. So he leaves the kids in the in the canteen, and decides he's going to head over to the maintenance shed of death now <laughs> to try and do what he can do. This it became a bit repetitive at this point, didn't it? Like, <laughs> I, you know what? I really need to go in there, so I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to. Oh, I've been eaten. Oh. Next, it's it's the end of um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, isn't it? Just sending in one faceless person to get decapitated by not being penitent enough, you know, again and again and again. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, they need to slow down the raptors' progress of chewing through these bars. So Ellie decides to go outside and basically provide a diversion or a distraction. So they go out. Ellie sort of taps on the bars, but nothing happens. Muldoon wanders over. He's he's, he's hurt his ankle at this point, hasn't he? Because he, yeah. he sort of he hurt it in the uh, in, in his escape from the Raptors. He hobbles over to the fence, starts banging on the bars, shouting, "Dinner is served!" <laughs> <laughs> and I think we can all be very clear here that he's not saying dinner is served. He's saying dinner is served. You, I love you. I'll give you. You're my best mate. You know, like he's he is absolutely wherever he was on the pool the pool curve before. He's now he's now. F- Thoroughly in the section where you take a shot and you end up ripping the ripping the cloth on the table is where Muldoon is now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, even this doesn't work. So uh, Ellie opens the gate and walks out into the fog, and and that does get their attention. And the uh, the raptors attack, and she just about makes it back. She very nearly. I mean, it's a, this is a fantastic couple of pages just to read in terms of a, how to write tense. A tense scene, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Oh man, so good. Because the moment she steps outside and it's all fog, you're like, "Oh, this isn't going to be good." And yeah. indeed, it is not good. But he makes you wait for it. The yeah. bastard. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Grant has reached the maintenance shed where he becomes contestant number three, 
Um, he <laughs> come on down. <laughs> This is taken through from uh, Henry Wu's perspective, which is quite good because you get uh, sort of these pauses uh, where it's just silence from the the end of the lodge and you think what's happened to him and he's just sort of messing around with the machinery because Grant isn't exactly, you know, very good with machines. Um, <laughs> good with bones, bad with machines. Yeah. It's on his LinkedIn profile. To, yeah. Wu's trying to talk him through it and he gets increasingly irritated, Grant, doesn't he? Because it's just like, it's not working and it's just mm. annoying him that it isn't. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah, you can, I mean, he comes as close as you can do to saying, oh, for fuck's sake, in a book that you're clearly trying to avoid people swearing a line. Yeah, yeah. At one point he bangs his head and he just like, bang my head. Yeah, no, just yeah, You're right. No, just bang my head. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, meanwhile, um, well, 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 well. The ki- the kids are in um are in the canteen, and while they're there, it just so happens that a raptor turns up. So There's, they've got a. Are the raptors in the kitchen, Matt? There's a raptor in the kitchen. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? Is the question. <laughs> so they they say what they're going to do. They run into the they run into the kitchen because it's the canteen originally. Yeah. To hide. Meanwhile, the power is now back on. Grant's managed to sort of get the power started but obviously there's no one in the control room to actually you know make it do anything so <laughs> there is power but it's not be really doing anything at the moment um grant comes across on his way back out of the maintenance shed uh comes across gennaro hiding in a truck um <laughs> surrounded by cumpies are you, are you, is he still your guy at this point? Are you still like, yeah, Donald, come on, son, hiding like a boss? <laughs> yeah, this isn't his finest hour, is it? Let's be honest. <laughs> I just think I think he should be proud that he's had any hours of any fineness whatsoever. He's a lawyer. They usually come off very badly in books like this, don't they? Yeah, I was just delighted he survived because last we saw, we thought I thought he was dead. So he's obviously managed to fight off this raptor and, and bail. And you think it ended up he punched it, didn't he? Um, <laughs> which is quite funny. <laughs> I just I like the idea of him squaring up, sort of proper Marquis of Queensbury rules against a against a, a raptor. <laughs> Come on, you bastard! I'm gonna ball up your fists and dance back and forth. You know. Yeah, it looks like the reason he managed to survive is because this raptor that's attacked him uh, is the one that Muldoon shot the leg off. So it's um, it's <laughs> actually not. <laughs> I, I I punched a raptor. I did. Yeah, it didn't have any legs. Shut up, you! I punched a raptor. How many raptors you punched? None. That's how many. I punched a raptor. All right. I'm not. I, I think it was still. Um, I think it was the one that killed Arnold, though. I yeah, he managed to kill Arnold with only one leg on. I assume so. Oh, oh, fair play. I mean, or you've like, got to say, haven't you? I'm not sure if the legs shut off or if it's just sort of like massively injured. Oh, is but, this or is this like a plot hole, like where raptors keep turning up out of the woodwork at the end of um, <laughs> at the end of ah spoilers? No, I, th- I think what's happened because um, the blood isn't because at first when I first um, read this, I thought it was Arnold's blood that he f- feels on his shoulder. Mm. Um, but I think it's, I think it's the raptor's blood. But um, uh, from what I can tell, from the way I pieced it together was. This raptor gets its, half its leg blown off when it goes sniffing around near Muldoon. Then it then it wanders off over to the maintenance shed, finds Arnold, jumps down and kills him. And then, because Arnold's quite like, I think he's described as, he, he's, I think Arnold's quite weedy. 
because <laughs> and, I, and the reason I say that is because when the raptor jumps on um, Gennaro, it says Gennaro was strong or um, was fit or something, and yeah. manages to sort of shake it off. So it looks like it's just about injured enough for like a someone in peak condition to fight off, but maybe you know a computer engineer who hasn't really seen a gym in fifteen years <laughs> probably wouldn't be able to fight it off. <laughs> That's all right. That, that's how I sort of. Put that's it how together you imagine anyway. it, right? Okay. Yeah. Right. Anyway, I like. Um, I, but in that case, I'm I, I'm sad. Arnold's gone even more now because, you know, thin intelligent he may have been, but I'm always on the side of the underdog, and I love the <laughs> idea of somebody quite weedy engineer type, just like having a, a mad swing at a raptor and actually connecting, and just leaving, yeah. leaving the raptor like talking to his mates afterwards. How big was he? Oh, oh, he's huge, massive. I mean, there were four of them. But he was small. I saw him. He punched you. He knocked you out. What is wrong with you? You're bringing shame on the raptor name. <laughs> this, uh, well, anyway, this raptor now has turned up in the kitchen, um, and Tim is going to try and outsmart it by leaving a trail of steaks. He's trying to tempt it into the fridge so he can lock it in there, the freezer. <laughs> and uh, he said, Tim said, Tim thinks the raptor's more scary than the tyrannosaur because it's got it feels intelligent you can tell it's something that is harder to outwit and um the raptor eats the first steak and then it doesn't eat any of the others but it follows them anyway just to see what the hell's going on um, <laughs> he gets it into the freezer they manage yeah. to close the door just as it's trying to like come out again but it, the door won't lock they need to sort of put push a little pin through yeah. And t- Tim's trying to get Lex to do it. And Tim's got the night vision goggles on so he can see what she needs to do. But she keeps missing it because she's obviously she's in the dark. She's just completely in the dark. I yeah. loved this sequence. It was it was just the right combination of like of extreme tension and screaming terror and like Marx Brothers comedy. You know yeah. what I mean? Like sort of, yeah. put the pin in! From the top! From the top! Ah! <laughs> and there's one terrifying moment where they... The raptor actually oh, manages to like hits the button and it opens the uh, opens the fridge up again, but it sort it sort of wasn't expecting it. It's already started going back to have another go, so he manages to shut the door again. And again, that's that mixture of horror and tension and a little bit of black comedy as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 very much. But they do manage to lock it in just in time, mm. and uh, and then they they make a run for it. In the in the meanwhile, Gennaro sort of telling his story about surviving the raptor attack. There were six of them. <laughs> I punched it in the face, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and then Grant says, "Maybe it's still in here." You're like, "Oh, better be careful." Yeah. And we move on to uh, what I've the unofficial name of this chapter, which is the end of Henry Wu, scientist. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, for, for that matter, and the end of Jurassic Park world because yeah. it wouldn't exist if uh, if this happened to Henry Wu in the film. Absolutely. I have to say, I'm not too sorry about Wu getting it. Now, I quite liked him in the first movie, but in the second mm. movie, in the in Jurassic World, I thought he was a wanker. So there was a weird sort of parallel universe schadenfreude in this bit, just being like kind <laughs> of, well, there he goes. It's, yeah. the, the description of it is horrifying, though. Again, it, oh, it yeah. goes, it draws really strongly on um, Predator, doesn't it? Just that idea mm. of being like, like you're in, you're in what you think is a sheltered environment, and this thing that's hunting you just whips you out into the middle of nowhere, anyway. You know, yeah, like, whoa. yeah. So, so uh, we start with him. Uh, it's a little bit sort of uh, one of the sort of 
he does this, Michael Crichton. He picks a character and it will have a couple of paragraphs just to, again, of uh, just thought and backstory. Uh, we hear, we see a bit more here about how um, Henry tinkered with the DNA to stop the worst behaviour. And he isn't, again, he isn't sure whether these things are what existed in prehistory hmm. or whether they're just monsters that he's created you know, with a little bit of DNA from the whatever existed back in the day. So yeah. he's he's actually corrected bits of behaviours, changed the DNA pattern to correct behaviour like constantly butting the fences or rubbing their skin raw. There's basically yeah. some things that the animals have done which obviously they would never have done in, in the wild. And yeah. he's had to sort of fix it. But yeah. that leads to questions, you know, what other non-obvious things do they do which... Yeah, they wouldn't have done back in the day. I, I mean, and obviously that's supposed to be intimidating and kind of like, oh, fear of the unknown, and it's tense, and it is. Mm. But there is a little bit of me that thinks maybe maybe one of the consequences of that would be completely unexpected. Like they develop a taste for literature or fine wine. You know, they you get get a sort of a sort of bohemian raptor out of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like because. I mean, that's just as plausible as the idea that you can turn on and off the gene that prevents a dinosaur from, like, you know, scraping against rocks or whatever. I just, mm. particularly at their burn rate, how many animals do you make until you're like, because you do that in the test tube, and then you have to wait for, like, however long the gestation period is, and then wait for them to get out in the wild, and then keep a close eye on whether they do that crazy thing anymore, mm. or whether the thing, the change you've made, lead to, like, 75 other crazy things i just that bit i was a bit like mm, i think my, michael you, you're trading there quite heavily on the idea that most people won't do the maths you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, we also thinks that you know the fact they're breeding is unfortunate because he didn't want them to but it it, it does actually show that at least he created you know he did something right they sort of they're actual living things that function properly Insofar as the fact they can breed means that it, he must be somewhere close to what they genuinely were. Yeah. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to breed. Although, yeah. although he did try to make sure they didn't breed. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's a bit of a circular argument, isn't it? It, it is a bit, isn't it? <laughs> um, okay, and then we come to... So the raptors leave the skylight and they suddenly realise that Ellie's outside trying to provide a description because these massive bars which are keeping the raptors out but the two on the roof obviously can jump down behind them and ellie is trying to distract the three of the raptors outside the fence by running up and down yeah but it turns out that the raptors are now distracting her while the others come over off the roof together yeah so Wu runs out opens the door tells her to get inside and if we were feeling uncharitable you could say that Ellie pretty much gets Wu killed here because she won't come yeah. in when he tells her to. Absolutely. And it's it's unbelievably stupid behaviour from a character who until this point has been incredibly like on it and very balanced and very cool about stuff. Yeah. Um, but she's just like, she for some reason she's caught up in the moment. She's like, no, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. Now, I mean, this is the first time. You are, what, seven minutes into the first encounter humanity has ever had with these creatures as they run. How can you be so certain in the fog that you've got them completely locked down. Personally, <laughs> if somebody else who was standing somewhere else than me and could see different things than I could came to me and went, look, you're in danger, I'd probably be like, oh, am I? Where? Instead of, shut up, mate, I've got it, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Poor move on her part, I think. Yeah. So we see this from Muldoon's perspective. He's sort of further back inside the lodge. He basically sees Wu get 
pulled out of the door and he, he sort of runs up to the door. Yeah, and even by the, t- the time it's taken him to get the few steps, Muldoon, from the corridor to the door, um, Ellie's running and yeah. Wu is on his back with this thing pulling out his intestines and he's trying isn't to like it, push the head away. just that- horrible? Yeah, I think this is probably the worst death actually for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a couple. There's a couple like this as well in uh, in the second book, yeah. where Michael Crichton clearly worked out that there's something deeply horrifying about somebody being eaten while they're still conscious. Yeah, yeah. Because the Nedry one was bad, but he kind of, I think he at least got killed before the dinosaur before started the chewing down. Started eating him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, that is that is a particularly horrendous way for anyone to go um, but yeah there goes Henry Wu poor old Henry Wu mm. uh, we go uh, back to uh, Grand St Gennaro on the way back to the visitor centre mm. and these the three raptors that were outside the lodge now go tearing past Grand St Gennaro back to the visitor centre so it's like oh shit that's where the kids are yeah um, Ellie in the meantime is running for her life she climbs the, this tree Jumps. I mean, give her credit here. She is. She can move. She's, a, she's up this tree like a ferret. She's, a, she's on the roof. She's. She's like. You can't really take this away. She's a athletic superstar. Yeah, um, absolutely. Just she, about can, my, she can outclimb an animal who has been bred for terrifying killing, no matter what the height. Yeah. She's like, nah, nah. Humanity represent. Yeah, if you can outrun a raptor, you should really be sort of on a professional athletic track. I was going to say, or paleobotany, you know, whatever you're good at. Yeah. <laughs> um, she, so there's a door on the roof, so she gets on the roof, runs to the door, thinks, brilliant, made it, that was epic. The door's locked. It's like, shit. No, and this is the real, this is the zombie movie moment, isn't it? Like, yeah. let me in, let me in. And, <laughs> and then having, like, knocked on the door, she then leaves the door. So somebody will get, so she does two things in quite quick succession here, where she's, like, a total athletic badass and also yeah. really stupid. Because clearly, somebody knows that she's going to be up on the roof, right? So somebody's going to come and open the door to let her in. How, or, how, did, how does anyone know she's going to be on the roof? Because she's just run away. So she's either doing laps around the building and she's already dead, or she's going to get in the building some other way, right? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, maybe, my, it's my, not, my, maybe it's not a given that she would be that athletic, I suppose. But still, if you knock yeah. on a door, hang around till somebody opens it. <laughs> yeah. So these, uh, these raptors are on the roof now. She leaves the door and thinks the only way down is she's, there's a swimming pool and there's a basically 10 feet of concrete between her and that she thinks I've no chance of making this jump but she does it hmm. anyway because it's that all end up like Henry Wu and uh, lo and behold she makes it amazing I'll be damned into the pool I'll yeah. be damned yeah meanwhile Dr. Harding having heard the frantic pounding on the door <laughs> runs <laughs> up the stairs and opens it <laughs> and nearly gets his guts torn out as this. They basically the raptors do some cheeky sort of hide and jump out thing, um, and he just manages to get the door slammed in time. He gets sort of a slashed across the chest, but uh, ooh, ooh. he survives and he Nasty. shuts the door. What what's wrong with Harding here? Why is he calling a Sattler? What's wrong with Ellie? Sattler, professional Sattler. respect. No, <laughs> he's he's talking to. I, I honestly, I honestly believe. If this is the 80s and he's close to retirement, he's in his 50s, which means he was born in the 30s. And, um, and 
that's the way that that gentlemen of a certain age um, addressed friends of yeah, theirs. I suppose it is. Yeah, you know what I mean. So it, I actually think this could be a very interesting little thing of somebody of that generation being like Miss Sattler. No, 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 not even Doctor Sattler. Sattler, yeah. where are you? You know, like <laughs> that kind of that that you know Sattler old chap thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Okay, we go back to the visitor center. Uh, Tim and Lex are there. Mm. Uh, they're now in the control room. There's an ear just like oh. on the floor. Yeah, and they deal with this with such looseness. There was a bit of me that was like, is this really plausible? Is it just sort of like, oh, there's an ear. So these are still children, and 12 hours ago, they were still not experiencing any of this. Yeah. Uh, or 18 hours ago, whatever. So have they really, in the past 18 hours of not very much sleep and being chased by a T Rex, become so loose about like human remains? Dinosaurs, sure. I could imagine them being like, Oh, no, that's herbivorous. That's fine. That's not going to kill us. But a human ear, not convinced. What do you think? Ah, kids are resilient. Kids are resilient. (laughs) 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 Very well. (laughs) So they they get to the, um, they they go to the control panel. Brilliant. The power's on again. So uh, Tim has a look at it, thinks, right, I can have a crack at getting this sorted. Uh, there's no help button. Nedry mm. didn't bother with help buttons. He's not that, he wasn't that kind of programmer, was he? No. Um, That's amazing. No, no. They find they, they find this radio and they start trying to work it. And Lex wants to play with it first because she found it first. Mm. And they're having this like row. And suddenly there's this crackle, and basically you get Muldoon coming in, going, "What the hell's going on?" <laughs> <laughs> but again, again, the the you know Rowley Burkis. What the hell's going on? <laughs> Personally, I'll drop it. <laughs> yeah. Um, meanwhile, outside the visitor centre, Grant and Gennaro see the raptors. A couple of interesting things here from these raptors. One, it looks like they're trying to get into the canteen at first because they can faintly hear the other, the trapped one calling out to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, then they hear the kids upstairs yeah. and they think, oh, well, we're going to have a piece of that. Yeah, they, exactly. They, that's 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 whatever the whatever the uh, the raptor equivalent of bros before hoses. They've fallen short of it there, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you um, know what I mean. Yeah, and they leap up, like basically leap onto the second floor balcony to get in. Yeah, which uh, just shows again how athletic they are. Mm. Meanwhile, yeah. in the control room, Tim is trying to put together the news that um, Muldoon. Tim's like, right, I'm at the computer. I'm ready to go. What do I do? And Muldoon's like, um, yeah, about that. There's nobody knows how to work the computer anymore. <laughs> and Tim's like, you've got to be joking. <laughs> <laughs> so Tim's got to try and do it himself. And um, all the time, Lex is standing next to him, basically telling him he can't do it. He's going, you yeah. can't do it, Timmy. You can't do it. No, you don't know what you're doing. Classic little sister, isn't it? Yeah. No, no, can't do it. No, you're not allowed. No, 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 you're rubbish. No, no, you can't do it. And yeah. I, now, I do love the sight in the novel of the of, of a, any character pushing through that sort of, you know, this whole situation in the family where Lex is clearly a favoured child and he's got an inferiority complex and, and all of that. But I much prefer the film where it's the girl who does all of this stuff, right? Mm. Where it's the girl yeah. who turns out to be good at computer things. And we, we said, didn't we, that Ariana Richards, who played Lex in the film, you know, she said that people always come up to her and say, you know, you, you inspired me to become 
a computer program, and I just think that's fucking brilliant. But yeah, I mean, this is good as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, something. I mean, this is. I, I love this little sign of the times thing, though. Um, it's really looking back, you know, from what we're doing these days. The the computer screens are actually touch screen, you know, basically like an iPod. Nice and uh, a nineteen eighty nine iPad. Well, the quote is um, in the book. Tim had never seen such a screen, but he'd read about them in magazines. Hey. It's like if it was today, he would be down on this before you knew it. <laughs> Kids are about like 11, eleven year old children these days are more comfortable with touchscreen than with anything else, aren't they? Absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, do, I do, I do quite like that thing. It's that Professor Frink thing, isn't it? I predict that in two hundred years, in twenty years. <laughs> computers will be half the size and so expensive that only the six richest kings of Europe will own them. Yeah. Like, like this touchscreen malarkey. The touchscreen only weighed an extra five kilos. <laughs> well, it's funny, I've, I'm actually... The, the version of Jurassic Park I've got, um, um, it's also got Congo on it, the oh, other yeah. one of the Michael Jackson yeah. books, the Michael Crime books. And um, the... In that, one of the things, like, they're, they're talking about sort of future technology. This is, I think it's set in the late 70s, early 80s. Oh. And it's saying, you know, the um, the big commodity boom of uh, of the past however many decades has been oil. You know, it's yeah. movement. And they said the, the next one, the next big commodity boom will be over in, information. Yeah. And there'll be a massive, the, the, the prediction is like a, a massive uh, shortage of cabling to connect computers together for like whatever the internet becomes not in my house son (laughs) i just thought it's quite interesting that it made the leap to there's going to be this thing kind of like the internet yeah obviously but didn't make the leap to and we won't need wires to keep everyone connected yeah it's quite it's quite interesting interesting, interesting. well i mean it assumes that copper will be the 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 primary way of communicating there and actually Mm. fiber optic was developed quite quickly so Mm. yeah uh Okay, back to oh the, the other thing to say about this we're actually near the, near the end for today. Um, you might I'll be say with a sigh of relief. Marathon, pocket in two hours, um, like running away shit. from a T Rex, which is running yeah. away from a larger T Rex. <laughs> yeah, they can see on these screens that this this ship with the raptors on it. Do you remember that that plot line way back when? <laughs> oh, way back when. <laughs> That's uh, very very close to landing now. So they've got there are two reasons. Well, let's say three reasons. They don't know about one. Why they've got to get this power on as soon as possible, i.e. in the next few minutes. One, there are raptors chewing through the bars at the lodge and they're going to kill everybody. Two, there are raptors on this boat and uh, they're going to reach the mainland and goodness knows what's going to happen then. And three, which they don't know about, there are a couple of raptors somewhere in the visitor centre, so it might be a good idea to get the security doors working before they (laughs) find out where they are. It's all on. Yeah, and that leads us to the grid, but... Reading that next week. <gasps> Cliffhanger. Da, 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 da. And if even that wasn't enough for you to be downloading next week, we will also have reviews and feedback from yourselves and uh, other carefully sourced parts of the internet <laughs> um, for Jurassic Park. And let me tell you, normally I'm quite sort of I try to be quite fair with this but any criticism coming the way of Jurassic Park from these reviews is going to get shot down <laughs> <laughs> oh brilliant we're going to see you with the gloves off for the first time basically Dave there are people who like Jurassic Park and there are people who are wrong and that are the only two categories that there can be 
<laughs> Superb. I'm going to put together all my negative opinions for next week just so I can hear your head explode. <laughs> well, look forward to that. Um, oh, oh and, and added to that, we'll probably find out what happens to all these characters on the island as well. But that's very much secondary. <laughs> very much secondary to Matt, Matt letting the genie out of the bottle. <laughs> uh, until next time, though, enjoy the rest of the book. I believe I will, Matt. <laughs>